to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel this morning, uh, chapter 1. Does anyone know the history of Memorial Day? How it got started? Uh, it was established in 1865 uh, to remember those who are part of the uh, Union and Confederate armies who had lost their lives in a terrible civil war that uh, deeply divided our nation. After uh, World War I, uh, it was expanded to include all the servicemen and women uh, who had lost their lives uh, throughout the different wars in our nation's history. For many of us today, it's a chance where we remember uh, loved ones. I know I, I lost my mom about seven and a half years ago. She's buried out at Klamath Memorial Park. And I don't know if you've been out there, but it is beautiful right now. I mean, you drive in there, just the flags and the flowers uh, as you drive through um, uh, the, the, the Memorial Park out there. It's, it's just really beautiful. Loss is a part of life. I, I, I don't know uh, if you like talking about that. Uh, but it's true, we all have losses. And when you come to church on a beautiful day like today and everyone's a little bit upbeat, which you have been, which is amazing and we love, uh, the truth is, uh, behind those smiles this morning, uh, we all have losses. And many of us were celebrating, mourning into dancing, graves into gardens this morning because God has brought us through some what we thought at the time were some pretty horrific things. But we all have losses. And I, you're going to hate me by the time this service is over. Uh, I'm going to talk about some personal things. But I want you to just take a minute right now and kind of look around the room. And realize behind that smile, uh, there, there is someone who's gone through a loss, a, a loss of some kind. A loved one has passed away. A dream has been shattered. Uh, maybe the perfect marriage ended up in divorce. Uh, maybe uh, a f financial decision to start a business ended up in bankruptcy. Or maybe there's something happening with your health that you never thought would happen to you. And now you're in a situation where you're, you know, making trips to the hospital or the doctor's office. and It's just difficult. Loss is a difficult thing for us uh, to, to wrestle through. Here in 2 Samuel chapter 1, uh, David teaches us amazingly. He's a young man, a little over 30 years old. He teaches us some things about loss that are really important. King Saul and his son Jonathan have been killed in battle uh, with the Philistine army, both of them on the same day. And I think many of you know that Jonathan was David's best friend. And uh, when the news comes, he's overwhelmed with grief. What's interesting to me is that many people thought David would, would celebrate when he heard the news of Saul being killed. Remember, uh, Saul had been chasing him around the desert for years at this point in his life. He'd been hiding uh, behind rocks and in caves. And uh, his life has been pretty difficult. So many thought he would rejoice or at least breathe a sigh of, of relief uh, when he found out the news that Jonathan had died. But you know what David does? He stops. He grieves. 
he struggles. And he writes a song, and we're going to read this song this morning. It's a lament. Uh, and he commands all the men of Judah, all of his army, he commands the, the men to learn this song and sing it with him, to grieve over the death of Saul, who had been his enemy. And yet to honor the Lord and to honor the position of king over Israel, uh, he just sees how important it is for the nation. So he leads the entire nation in, in grief. It's, it's just uh, an amazing story. I'm going to be in reading verse 17. I'm going to read down through verse 27. It says, David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan and ordered that the men of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. It is written in the book of Jasher, which is apparently another historical book that was recorded at that time. Verse 19, your glory, O Israel, lies slain on your heights, how the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon lest the daughters of, Philist of the Philistines be glad or lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. In other words, he doesn't want the enemies of God gloating over the idea that uh, Saul and Jonathan have been killed. Uh, verse 21, o, o mountains of Gilboa, may you have neither dew nor rain, nor fields that yield offerings of grain, for there the shield of the mighty was defiled. The shield of Saul no longer rubbed with oil. David wants even the mountains uh, to mourn, to be silent, to not produce fruit uh, because of the death of Saul and Jonathan. Verse 22, from the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. So he's commending them for their courage and their victories while they were alive. And of course, there were a lot of victories. Uh, through Saul's leadership as king. Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and gracious. In death, they were not parted. <laughs> they were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. In other words, he's commending the prosperity that took place in the nation of Israel uh, during uh, Saul's rule. Verse 25, how the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You are very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman, which is such an interesting statement. But there was something of the, the camaraderie and the brotherhood that he felt in battle with Jonathan in his life. How the mighty have fallen, the weapons of war have perished. You know, one of the mistakes we make when we go through a loss in our life is we try to minimize it. Uh, we, we, we try to push it down. We, 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 tr we, we, we try to, uh, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, we try to shake it off. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, playing, playing sports or something. You got to hit with a grounder in the arm or between the eyes or something. Shake it off. But, you know, we go through a loss in our life and we act as though we can just shake it off. But uh, it, it affects us deeply. It's not that easy sometimes to move on. Uh, Jerry uh, Sitzer is a Christian author. He wrote a book on uh, loss and grief back uh, in, in 2004. The title, A Grace Disguised. And, and then how the soul grows through loss. 
One night, uh, Jerry's mother, his wife, and his daughter were all killed in a car accident at the hand of a drunk driver. It was devastating. And for years, he felt like he just wandered uh, through life. But he knew he wasn't alone. I don't know if you're familiar with what grace really means. But grace is more than just the undeserved love of God. Grace is what allows his presence to be with us every moment and every day of our life. It's grace. Do you understand the New Testament? Why it's so different than the Old Testament? You know, God was mighty. God was powerful in the Old Testament, no question. But he couldn't dwell in us and with us the way he can because of the new covenant. You see, on the cross when Jesus says, it is finished, the payment, uh, the wrath of God for our sin, the payment for our sin was completed. And because of that, the love of God, we know the word grace, the unmerited favor, the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit literally is allowed to come be with us and dwell with us. And even though we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we're not alone. His grace. He, he talked about his grace, a grace disguised. He, he said, it, it, it is not true we become less through loss. And I think sometimes when we go through a loss, we immediately interpret ourselves as having been defeated or, or at least diminished. He said, loss doesn't make us less. It opens the doorway to more because of the grace of his presence that abides with us. He said, I never got over the loss of my loved ones. Instead, I absorbed their loss into my life. It became part of who I am. It took up residence in my soul, and it enlarged it. I became more human. I became more real. I gained more understanding about the difficulties of others. I became more patient. I became more caring. I discovered a humility before God and a closeness with his presence that I'm not sure I could have discovered any other way. Loss is a teacher. And it's not something we just try to get through. It's something we learn to carry with us throughout our life because it really adds more uh, than it takes, takes away. How many know we were created to long for the presence of God more than anything else. We, we really were. We were created to long for the presence of God. There's a, there's a verse in um, Jeremiah chapter 2. So interesting, verse 13. Here's what Jeremiah says. He says, for my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. It's amazing how we look for life in things that can't really give us life. Uh, we're, we're always looking for the next thing that can satisfy or can fill. How many know that Jesus is the life we're looking for? Yes. I, I love the scripture. 
where John in the Gospel of John says, in him was life, and that life is the light of men. He, he doesn't just point the way to life. He is the life. He's who we have been longing for. He's who we have been searching for. And there's something about loss in our life that takes away the shimmer and the sparkle of this world and gives us a longing for the eternal and a hope for the life that we were truly created for uh, in, in Jesus Christ. I was, I was reading a commentary about this section of Scripture and... Uh, uh, one of the things that uh, the, this historian said, he said, the nations around Israel at this time, the Canaanites and Amalekites and Philistines, uh, they didn't have a theology for loss or grief in their culture. And he said this, because their gods weren't big enough. Is your God big enough yes. to carry you through loss? See, when I read that, I thought, wow, that sounds like the American Christian culture in the day we live. We have such a feel-good theology in America. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. We, we think God's blessing is the perfect marriage. God's blessing, the perfect family. Fulfilling career, sufficient income. How many of those things are great? But can I tell you what real blessing is? Even though those things are great, real blessings is the presence of God. It's fellowship with Him. We're going to walk with Him, worship Him for all eternity. We were created by God and for God to know Him and to love Him. And we exchange the temporal things of this world for the God who can truly satisfy. And, and you know, Jerry, his book, he... He just talks about the wrestle within his soul to learn to be content with the presence of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in, in his life. I don't know what may have shattered your dreams, but do you know two-thirds of the book of Psalms is, is lament? It's about sorrow and, and it's about grief. The question, is your God big enough? to carry you through your losses in life. David, 30 years old, such a wise man, commanded his men to mourn and to learn a song of lament. I think it's a great example for us. It's certainly not something I've ever understood uh, in my life. I'm gonna give you four elements of uh, uh, to grieve well. Uh, in your life. Number one is to stop, okay? Stopping, so important, slowing down. We didn't read this verse, but in verse 11 of chapter one, it says that David tore his clothes, he mourned, and he wept, and he fasted. You know one of the reasons we don't grieve well is we don't want to take the time. We want to move on. <laughs> you know that counselors will tell you one of the major causes of depression in our life is that we don't grieve our losses. We don't slow down and, and take the time to grieve our losses. I don't know how many times you've moved in your lifetime from one house to another, one city to another. Some of us several times, some of us not very many times. Um, but last week, uh, Mike and Mindy, who direct our children's ministry, 
uh, just down the hallway here. Uh, they, they, uh, they rented a house for the first uh, year and a half when they moved here in Klamath Falls, and they, they bought a home, uh, which means they're staying for a while, hallelujah. And, uh, and they did some remodeling, they moved in. And one of the things they did in their move is they took their kids up to their old house, and they went around in each room, and they asked their kids to share a favorite memory that they enjoyed, whether it was the bathroom, brushing their teeth, or in the living room, playing a game, or you know their favorite hide-and-seek spot, or maybe something that took place uh, in their bedroom. Maybe it was a you know, story they enjoyed uh, their dad or their mom reading them at night, but they took their children through the house. Mindy said she learned this because missionary families, m many of you may not know that missionary, uh, Mindy, uh, as a missionary's child, uh, born in... in uh, uh, West Africa, but uh, they move a lot, and so there's a little bit of a uh, an understanding that when they move, they've got to have closure uh, for when they're moving, so they wanted to teach that to their children. I thought, what a wise thing. She said, she said it was so great. We had fun. The kids talked about funny stories, and we all laughed, and he, she said when they left, our, our youngest son said, bye house. Don't we need that in life? Don't we sometimes just need closure in response to some of the things uh, that have happened in our life? David stopped. He wrote a song, and he commanded uh, the men of Judah, his army, to, to learn it, and he led the entire nation uh, in grief. Uh, second thing that uh, I learned from this section is David let his feelings out before God. Second uh, Samuel chapter 1, verse 26. Here's what David said in his song. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Can you talk about your feelings? I know I'm making some of the men nervous. Can you talk about your feelings? Can you be transparent with your spouse? Can you be transparent with a friend? David let his feelings out before God, but he let them out before the nation. I think that's really interesting. I think it's anti-American, especially if you grew up in the Midwest, South Dakota or uh, Minnesota. Um, just... Sometimes we need to stop and simply try to identify our feelings. I, I've told little pieces of this story, and I'll try not to be too long, but uh, my mom and dad got a divorce when I was four years old. And I'll never forget the day I woke up and uh, I, I, knew, I knew something was different. I didn't know what it was, but I knew something was different. And I walked down the hall to the closet where my dad's clothes were, and I opened the closet door, and there were no clothes there. And I walked into the bedroom. My mom was still sleeping, and I said to my mom, Dad is gone. You know what she said? I know. And that was it. There's never another word said. So I, I didn't know what to do. I just left the room and went out and played. 
about six or eight months later, I was with my mom and we stopped at a kind of a neighborhood corner grocery store. And, uh, and we walked up to the counter. I remember, I can't, I can't believe I remember this. Four and a half is a long time ago. <laughs> I'm holding my mom's hand. And when I looked up, my dad was standing in front of me. And he's with another woman and a couple of girls, maybe another family. I don't know. I remember standing there holding my mom's hand, wondering what would happen. My mom didn't say a word. My dad didn't say a word. No one said anything. I just stood there. And he walked away. I don't know what I, I just stuffed my feelings and went on. Now, I don't know if that sounds unusual to you. It sounds a little unusual to me. Uh, but I was at a conference on addictive behavior, uh, oh, several years ago now. Um, you know, I was trying to understand a little bit more about addictions. Ted Roberts, pastor in the Portland area, uh, a great pastor, and he was helping people deal with addictions, sexual addictions, drug and alcohol addictions, all these kind of things. And uh, I, I just wanted to learn more about it. So it was about a three-day conference. And on the morning of the last day, I'm sitting there, and he is speaking. Okay, I hadn't remembered my biological dad. My mom got remarried when I was six. Wonderful dad. Another whole story. Um, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of him for, I don't know, close to 50 years probably by then. I'm sitting there, and he's starting to talk about you know, the past and dealing with hurt, all of a sudden, the memory of my dad, the stories I just told, all of a sudden, they started to well up within my soul. And I, I was going to explode. There was so much pain uh, coming up in my soul. I was going to explode. I didn't know what to do, but I had to get out of there. So I grabbed my stuff and I, you know, worked down the, the aisle. And I got out of there as fast as I could. I don't think I made it to the car when I started crying. And I cried from Portland to past Oak Ridge on Highway 58. Just tears flowing down. Just the awareness of some of the pain that I felt uh, when I was a little guy. Now, I had no idea any of that was there. I was just serving God. Hallelujah. He works all things together for good for those who love You know, some of the things we quote sometimes to try to deal with our emotions, and I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't hang on to promises in our life, but I just, I just didn't know all that was there. And uh, apparently it was, and apparently I'd, I'd stuffed it down. Now, to be honest, I'm probably a basket case, and, um, you know, forget what I said when you leave, but... A lot of times we, we go through loss and grief and we don't allow ourselves to feel. And I want to ask you why. Who taught you not to feel? And, and what are you afraid of if you feel? How do you know that Jesus had feelings? I love this story when Lazarus died. You know, how he wept at Lazarus' tomb. I love this story, how he cried over Jerusalem. The last time he entered Jerusalem, it says he wept over the city. He longed for them to return to God. Like, like, a, like you know, chicks uh, returning under the wings of, of a hen. He longed for them. Jesus, 
if you want to understand humanity as you read through the gospels you 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 see the amazing emotion that jesus had and 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 one of the things that god wants to do is 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 help us not be afraid of our feelings and not be afraid of our hurts our hurts are not the end by the way they're the beginning uh, of becoming more of becoming who god created us to be as we learn to walk uh, in his presence and to enjoy the fellowship of his presence in our life. The third thing that David did is he wrestled with his pain. Now, I know none of us like to talk about this. We just want to get it solved. We just want to find a scripture in the Bible and hold on to it. And by the way, I'm, I've memorized as much scripture as you have. And I've got a lot of scriptures I hold on to in my life. So I, I love the word of God. I, I really, really do. Uh, but sometimes we have to wrestle. We have to wrestle with pain. We have to wrestle with disappointment. We have to wrestle with misunderstandings. Because grief and loss brings things up in our soul that raise a lot of questions in our life. Uh, Nicholas uh, Walterstroff is a, a European author, a Christian professor. He wrote a book entitled uh, Lament for a Son. His son was killed uh, in a climbing accident in Australia. Uh, in his book he writes, I'll never forget the moment I received the phone call. He said it was surreal. The man was talking, but I wasn't hearing a word. He said, all of a sudden, I saw myself surrendering my son on an altar to God. He said, the conversation was over. I hung up. And then all the pain came flooding in. The doubt, the unbelief. He said, uh, his wife and he went to Australia to his son's apartment he said it was terrible. He said his things were there, but he wasn't there. He said it felt so empty. He said it felt like his life wasn't important, that his life never mattered. He thought, God, where were you? How could you watch him fall and not catch him? All these rational and irrational thoughts flooded through his mind. He said, there's so much we don't understand. So much we don't understand. So many questions we have about the mystery of life, about the wonder of God. He said, we have to be careful not to come up with answers too quickly because we'll take away God's mystery and God's wonder. He said, religion tries to package God in a way that we can understand him. But that doesn't bring lasting peace. He said, the only thing that brings peace is his presence. The only thing 
that being, brings peace is knowing that he is there. Psalms 46 verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted over all the earth. So let me close with this. I'll invite the worship team to head this direction. <laughs> Have you had an encounter with God? H have you had an encounter with God? Gender, I'm sorry, I'm going to bug you here. Is that okay? You're so sweet. Have you ever been uh, maybe sitting on a rock looking out over a valley and all of a sudden, you knew you weren't alone. That the Lord was there. There's something happens when, when you have that kind of experience with God. You immediately know the difference. <laughs> you know, having an encounter with God not only helps you begin to experience who he is but it it helps you know who you are and it helps you understand you have nothing to be afraid of because he is almighty all powerful he is literally in control and he loves you so deeply. There, there's something about that moment of experience, experiencing God's presence. I know there's a certain brand of Christianity that's afraid of experiencing God's presence. They want to make salvation just an exchange of, do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Hallelujah. Just pray this prayer, brother. Make sure you pray it right, by the way. Oh, God, I ask forgiveness for my sins. Jesus, I receive you into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Savior, my Lord. Now, I like all that stuff. You've heard me pray those prayers. Sorry. But if that's all there is to salvation, then go join the Elks Club or something, you know. I want to experience God. Like the Apostle Paul said, I want to know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. See, I believe an encounter with God. It was unusual in the Old Testament. Moses had an encounter with God at the burning bush. Isaiah had an encounter with God. He was high and lifted up. His train of his robe filled his temple, which is a picture of majesty. Woe unto me, a man of unclean lips. One of the things that happens when you have an encounter with God is conviction. You're aware that he is. He's part of another realm. He's so holy and pure, and yet he opens your spiritual eyes and invites you to experience that realm for a moment. And when you've experienced that, you may never live up to what happened in that encounter, but you never forget it. And it produces a longing in your soul for the eternal, the shiny and the shimmery. They don't matter as much anymore. It's his presence. 
It's his presence. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted over all the earth. I'm going to invite you to lay your stuff aside and I'll say a prayer as we get ready to head out the door. Heavenly Father, you are amazing God. Lord, on a weekend where uh, we remember your faithful journey, uh, for some of us in our life throughout the history of our families, your faithful leading of our nation, uh, Lord, for centuries, for generations. Lord, we want to thank you that you are great and that you're mighty and that you're awesome. And Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us. Lord, that you'd walk with us, that we could know you. Lord, we thank you for that privilege. Thank you for that grace. And Lord, I, I pray for each person who's gone through pain or sorrow. Lord, in the midst of that pain, you were with them. Lord, you carried them and you cared for them. Lord, you're with them today. Lord, you're enlarging their heart. You're increasing the boundaries of their love and their care for others through the power of the Holy Spirit work in your life. We just, we just say thank you for that. Thank you for all of that. Thank you for being here. Thank you for what you're doing. And Lord, thank you for adopting us into your family and giving us the Holy Spirit who says, Abba, Father. Father, we thank you for our wonderful relationship with you. We love you here this morning. We thank you for being with us in Jesus' wonderful name. Can we all say amen together? Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me and let's sing this song before we go. Amen.